1: We would like to acknowledge the Shumash, Keech, and Tongva people, the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Salmon or Dolly,
2: through a great party, we all drank Bacardi, it got kind of gnarly. We're light a feather, we're tougher than leather.
1: Together we're weirder, we're, we're weirder together. Weirder together, Ioni Sky. Hello. How are you, babe?
2: I'm very good special episode special
1: yeah it's a spe- special boy app
2: yeah very
1: you know our our list of uh, the gatekeeping we do on guests for this show is is renowned they talk about it all over the canyon
2: yeah They're like how do
1: we get in on an app can't do it
2: yeah but we yeah we were we wanted this guest
1: we did and we said because we always said we don't want to have an interview show but if there's people we actually want to chat to and or friends around or whatever let's do it and we both so people have heard us the last few weeks. Getting obsessed about a show that's on Peacock mm-hmm. called Paulty Goldman. Yeah, and we have with us the creator, the creator, the director, the uh, the, the the mastermind, and the victim.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of this show, Paulty Goldman.
1: Please welcome Jason Walliner.
3: Thanks, guys. I'm uh, I'm honored. Was that yeah. an apt description? Sure. Yeah, I'll take I'll take it all. <laughs>
1: so the goal of this chat, I thought, was we have to assume most people haven't seen the show. Actually, in Australia, where half our listenership is you have to even be on a VPN and get it
3: illegally. I couldn't find a way, so I fully endorse that. I I shouldn't. I guess I could get in some oh, trouble. We got but-
2: really into the what's it VP- VPN VPN. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When we were in Australia. when we lived in Australia, my teenager was like, "Oh, here's how you do it, so we can watch our shows." We got to
3: watch your shows. Yeah. It's it's on them if they haven't figured out how to release something over there. Exactly, we're in a global world right now. Who
1: are we without our programs? Yeah. <laughs> so we, what I thought was, if there was a way we could, this show is so complex, and full of mystery and detail. I'd love if we could have a conversation where we didn't give too much away to the listeners, but I, I believe that hearing you talk about this, the stuff this show brings up will be interesting whether or not anyone's seen the show, and will whet their appetite to check it out. I right? hope so.
3: What's What's been kind of a challenge, it took me 10 years to make this show um, because I think it's uh very difficult to describe, <laughs> and uh,
2: how, how are you describing and, and, it? Yeah. And to make it more difficult or exciting, in a funny way for me is my my cousin Barry Stolberger is basically Paul. <laughs> The lead of your show, oh, wow. which is so funny, we like to like troll him on Facebook. Well, <laughs> well I don't well, even well, know.
3: Let's <laughs> zoom, let's do that for a second. At the center of this show, <laughs> so it was
2: confusing, but it's delightful at the same time. Like what?
3: many people have family, many yeah, people have yes, family members that are very of, Paul.
2: Yes, yes. Well,
1: yes. we all have a Paul T. Goldman in our family, and we all, I believe, and we'll get to this, have a Paul T. Goldman in our heart. I
3: believe so too.
1: <laughs> now, th- this is a. There are five or six episodes.
3: There are six episodes total. Six
1: episodes where you follow a character who you met online.
3: Yes. Over how many years? He found you. found you. you. In 2012, he tweeted at me, uh, a man, I'll say calling himself Paul T. Goldman, because I did find out that's not his real name, but that was an alias he was using or, or does use. But so he's like, I'm Paul T. Goldman, and I had an incredible thing happen to me, and I wrote a book about it. And I wrote a screenplay about it, and you should help me make it into a, a movie. It was a movie at the time, and uh, and go to my website and find out uh, find out more. And so I, I clicked on his Twitter, and he had um, said this to hundreds and hundreds of other other people. So in the,
1: initially, you're feeling kind of flattered for a moment, for okay. a brief moment. And he was it was because of your work with Borat, or what was no. it? Do you well, think it was that put it was on your right. Put, it was ten years ago,
3: right. so I was yeah. wondering. Um, what it would have been because I had worked on some you know different comedy shows, but I uh, upon clicking on his name and seeing this was just hundreds of people, he tweeted the same thing. Out. I was like, Oh, anyone who, who said director or Hollywood or producer or anything, he was just kind of it was a wide uh blast, he you know, he was knocking on a few hundred doors, and I uh, I answered.
1: And and you realized that before you got involved in the project, so what was it that like? I personally feel when I get say a message that looks like it's a rote copy on Instagram mm. I almost block the person immediately because I go you actually don't care about me at all like what was it that that led you to want to submit to this strange experience
3: You know what I don't think I would do it today it was Twitter was a different place in 2012 it was yeah. before you know it was way before the current Twitter it was but it was before Trump even it was before it became you know, so much about politics and rage and all this stuff, where it was just a fun place with a bunch of weird people uh, and, you know, people posting jokes and doing weird bits and whatever and and just kind of these odd rabbit holes you can go down. And uh, so I just clicked on it, and then I saw a video that he had posted where uh, he had shot it himself. It's, I think part of it's in the show where you get a sense of his – as soon as you see this person, you get a sense of his personality. He's like a, you know – not to insult it, but almost like a living cartoon character in a lot of ways. and but he was talking about a very dark story. So it was like this kind of muppety, goofy guy talking about how he married uh, a woman who he said turned out to be a, a con artist and had a double life. And he said, "Read my book and and find out how I um empowered myself and vowed to take down her her crime ring and, and
2: in And in ten years, who knew that <laughs> con artists would be the biggest selling? Shows right yeah, now, yeah, like there's so, Anna Delvey and all these all things. he gets right in, yeah. I mean, he was a he's ahead. I get on the Julia Fox podcast, but I mean, you <laughs> were you know an early adapter to it, and, and so did you see the comedy in it right away, or or was it just
3: yeah? I saw immediately, I was like, well, there's something funny and interesting about uh, this guy who seems so lighthearted and goofy trying to take down a crime ring, which is what he said he was doing. Um, but then I, you know, I kind of quietly watched him for a few months, I want to make sure he wasn't crazy or dangerous or mentally ill. Like, I, you know, I didn't know this person. So I watched him long enough to kind of get a sense. And then I reached out to him. um, And just meeting him and talking to him and getting to know him, I kind of realized pretty quickly, oh, no, Paul. Paul is the story here. Paul is the most interesting part of this. And tried to figure out how to do a project, which was a movie and then became the show that we put out, um, that would just kind of explore this person and try to look at all sides of it and you know, thinking some of it would be funny, but also some of it would be very sad or very disturbing or, you know, hopefully moving in some way. And I just thought there was a, a richness to him that it was worth kind of exploring. I, di- I didn't expect to spend 10 years on it. I probably wouldn't have done it if you told me at the time it was going to take I've 10 years. I've had projects like that. What was I thinking? You don't <laughs> go into something thinking right, I'm going to spend the next decade trying to finish this. Um, you think, oh, okay, a year or two, I could probably do this so, i
2: mean it was so so beautifully put together and it looks like that had a good budget and i mean the editing i mean everything was so i mean and yeah i i'm not very i'm not good at uh praise critiquing <laughs> well like when i did no, that it's... ucla online like i used to do script writing or certain things online at ucla and i would have to critique and i'm i'm long-winded oh, your classmates work yeah so you know what I would do? I would read the others. Because also I didn't want to read everyone's work. I was like, oh, no, I have to read everyone's. So, wait, so wait, you, i, I literally...
3: Literally... <laughs> offering read-up hot takes on uh, Paul you're yeah. so like you didn't actually watch the show. So I would, but no, you no, I'd do, I'd do, I'd do,
2: please. I deeply. I, basically, if I had to critique it, it would take me like three days of writing, and then I would, you know. So beautiful show. <laughs>
3: Thank you. Thank you. So,
2: from, <laughs> so you come from this
1: background of working with Nathan Fielder, Sasha Baron Cohen, like people that are, there's a meta attitude towards the thing you're making,
3: right? Sure. Yeah. And and the common thing also is they all kind of use real people and use real life as a canvas to explore, you know, comedic things and otherwise. So what point
1: though, again, without wanting to give too much away at a certain point, it becomes clear that you as a character are going to be, are becoming embroiled in a narrative (laughs) that, is a, a part of the story. Like, when did you realize that?
3: Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't seen the show, I I, I am in it, um, which was never my intention. I really hate being on camera. I don't you like tried, it. You, were you a tried suit. not You were to. wearing a suit in every wear, shot. I was, but I always wear a suit when I
1: direct oh, I um, stuff. Oh, I love that. that. that yeah. Like George Martin Beatles kind of thing. Like, you're a technician.
3: Yeah, or they, like so, yeah. Sam Raimi and Hitchcock. There's, like, yes. directors that I just started doing it because when I was in my first show, I was 26, and... People, uh, I I just thought people would think I was like a PA or something, and so the first day I just came to set in a suit, and I just um kept wearing it. And I realized also I like that it makes me uncomfortable enough to remind me that I'm doing something I should be focusing on. Um, that I'm not like checking my phone or just zoning out. Um, that I yeah I don't actually enjoy being in a suit, but it does kind of keep me. Uh, Focused. Look, very little known. The
1: people don't know this, but a lot of people tune in to this podcast for executive functioning tips. And <laughs> is what you're talking about is a point of differentiation from your competitors. That's right. There are a lot of. I don't know. I'm, I'm presuming Jewish, but there's. Yeah, yeah. I, you're presuming I, I correct. It, I see an intellectual Jewish white guy, medium stature. You go, hey, what's going to set me apart from the pack?
3: Medium is very, uh, yeah. very generous. <laughs> Diminutive. <of you. laughs> hey, I'm not. I'm, I'm in a glass house here.
1: Okay, so yeah. What, so, so what point did it did it become i'm clear you were
3: a part of this story so i you know i wanted to do a thing about paul's story in his life and just be honest about it and shoot you know okay so what we haven't talked about is the format of the show is the, the the guy the real guy who went through this wrote a book and then a screenplay of what he went through and my idea early on and then eventually paul came around to the same idea was to film all of you know or most of his scenes from his screenplay with him starring as himself um and he and surround him with good actors and production value and try to make it look as good as we could. So he you know, loved that he loved that
1: bit of the pitch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well I didn't pitch it to him. I let
3: him I let him suggest it himself. I always thought in the back of my head I wanted that to be the thing, but I also didn't want it to feel like a prank or that I was putting someone in front of the camera who didn't want to be there. And so I um and so I um I waited until he suggested, you know, maybe I could play myself. And then uh and I was like, Yes, good, great. And so um It was just going to be his story, and then after it took years and years of working on this to try to get it made, he just kept sending me more scenes, and then at one point he just started sending me scenes with dialogue for me in it, and I was like, no, no, Paul, I'm I'm not going to be in this. This is about you. And he's like, well, you're part of the story. This is us. You know, we're trying to get it made, and and uh, eventually I had to admit I was part of the story. My God, you're, uh, yeah, you you often have these scenes with him where
1: you don't say a whole lot. It's like you're just <laughs> the silence, the pregnant pauses as you were, as you, like the audience imagines being in your situation.
3: Yeah, Fantastic. I tried to accurately depict in the show the uh, the discomfort involved in making this show, which was, you know, I didn't want it to be a prank, but I also didn't tell the actors like play along or anything. Like I didn't want anyone kind of playing it for comedy and so to just kind of, create these situations on set and allow whatever awkwardness was going to happen to happen. Um, and yeah, it made for some interesting moments. I think I
1: did wonder about that. Like, so who plays his, yeah. The redhead. Who's that?
3: Um, his, his second wife, uh, Audrey is Audrey. played by Melinda McGraw. Who's a great, amazing actress. Yeah, she's yeah. amazing.
1: How did you prepare your actors for acting with this very idiosyncratic person?
3: I Zoomed with everyone beforehand and told them what the deal was. I was like, this is a real guy. He's not a professional actor. He's not a professional writer. But I think if we shoot these scenes and we commit to them, something interesting could happen. And, um, and the only thing I really said was don't play it ironically. Don't play it for comedy. Act like you're, you know, treat this like, like it's a prestige drama and and just try to commit to these scenes and this, you know, unpolished dialogue and with his you know, interesting presence. I thought maybe we could get something unique out of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's all I did. And then, and then the rest of the notes were from him. Uh, was I there any improv him...
1: or was it all just a script?
3: No, okay. it, there was really none because I wanted the kind of um, formula of the show to be very clear is that everything everyone's saying in these scenes came from hit, from Paul's head. So I thought it would muddy it a bit if, there's, uh, if there was any improv. Wow.
2: <laughs> I love the actor who plays the lawyer. I forgot his name.
3: Who uh, Christopher Stanley? Yeah, he's he's so great. great. He's terrific. Because there's all this great that the, as
1: the, as the show sort of zooms out, you get to also watch the actors like offset, chatting with him between scenes and all that. I love that. Yeah. Story.
3: So there's there's scenes that Paul wrote with him starring in it with a great cast of professional actors, and then there's also behind the scenes that we show of kind of the making of it, and there's moments with this this actor who plays his lawyer, Chris Stanley, who um. He's like his character, the lawyer is. Look, Paul is telling him he's going to go visit a psychic to try to get some clues on what's going on. And in the scene that Paul wrote, the lawyer is skeptical. He's like, "Okay," but then watching the behind the scenes, you you can see the actor is also kind of looking at Paul, like, what, "What? What's going on?" And I really don't know, watching that stuff, if he's in character or not, because it, it, that that line does, did kind of blur um, when people were acting versus just kind of reacting to to Paul.
2: And where did you grow? Where did you grow up? I you? grew up
3: in the Bronx in New York.
2: Oh, my mom lived in the Bronx. at a point. I don't know where in the Bronx though. This was in the fifties.
3: There's, I mean, I so I grew up in. There's called Pelham Parkway is the neighborhood. It's not like the sketchiest part of the Bronx, but it's not like when I say that people think like Riverdale, which is like nice and wealthy area. That's not where I grew up. It was, it was somewhere in between. It's normal.
2: So many amazing the people grew up in the Bronx from he, the Bronx. Who
3: Hubert Selby
1: Junior.
2: I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. The, yeah, I think that, really? It Feels like Brooklyn, feels or, like, or,
0: yeah. Oh yeah,
1: Last exit to Brooklyn. Maybe that's why I'm thinking. No, about. but he was going to Brooklyn. Me he probably too, was coming <laughs> from the Bronx. It was going to be called First Exit from the Bronx or Last Exit <laughs> to Brooklyn. So, okay, I have a question. When you're you're doing a project like this, and I think this this is probably something you've grappled with at various points because of the types of comedy you've done, but but the moral complexities of the, dealing with people where an audience is, are they laughing with the character? Are they laughing at them? I mean, I remember going to see a screening of, do you remember that documentary came out a decade ago, Kumari? Yeah. And it was about a guy who pretended to be a guru and he sort of got all these devotees in Sedona or something. And then he called, called a meeting and was like, hey, guys, uh, check it out. I'm just fucking with you. I'm here to teach a lesson about how easily people are swindled. And I was like, Wow does the ends justify the means of this? Like you've just traumatized all these people, not you. No, I
3: I remember, I haven't seen that one, but I heard about it and that seemed pretty wicked to me.
1: Yeah, and I'm just kind (laughs) of curious, like with whether the stuff with Nathan Fielder or like with it, how, how do you walk that line of dealing with actual human beings, with their real life, with emotions? And you are- you know, what was it Godard said? Like film is 24 frames a second of lies. Like you are yeah. manipulating the situation to make something that's your piece of art.
3: How the hell do you,
1: how do you sleep at night, buddy?
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. I, you know, it's different on each project. Um On Borat, when it's something like Rudy Giuliani or someone that I can say, well, this guy has made the wor- world worse. Um I, You know, I, I felt fine about that. And there are other people in that movie um, there are characters like, I don't know how well you remember it, but the, there was a babysitter, there were these two uh, conspiracy guys that Borat stayed with. Those people, we really tried to show their humanity and portray them in a, a positive light, even with certain people who believed things that are very different from my believe, from what I believe. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of case by case, and with Paul... Uh, By the time we were shooting, he was very aware of the format of the show. It wasn't like he thought he was making his movie and then I I was like, surprise, it's a TV show you're going to be laughed at. You know, he knew we were going to shoot these scenes. He also knew we were going to shoot behind the scenes, interview the real people involved, have all this documentary stuff. And, you know... When I met him, he had made shirts that's uh, with his book on the front and the words what a schmuck on the back, and he was gonna wear them while he did like speaking engagements. And so he's someone who, from the time I met him, was always very aware that he was going to be laughed at for elements of this story. And to him, that was just, I'll just use that as a way to market myself as like, Oh, that's another way I can sell myself. I'm the idiot that, you know, married a con artist and you can laugh at me. So he's always said, Oh, you can laugh at me. He says that in the show, he's like, I understand you can laugh at me. But at the same time, you know, I always knew there was going to be a difference in exactly what I found funny and interesting about this and what he thought was funny and interesting. And that was, yeah, something I had to, to navigate and um, and try to, you know, make sure I was as honest with him as I could be, but also be honest in the show. And, and you know, these moments, I hope someone, you know, who you watch the show and there are moments that are very funny and awkward, um, but I hope to, to watch the whole thing, you understand it's not just about laughing about, uh, at a guy. Definitely, in the beginning, it's it's funnier, and then the deeper you get into it, um, hopefully, I, I I show it from enough angles that you see, okay, well, this is it's really about someone that you might laugh at and write off right away, and then hopefully, you go through this thing with him and are seeing him more as a full person, you know, worthy of of empathy and and with a lot of sides and complexities to him.
2: For sure, because you know, the whole time there's going to be a an exciting payoff, and I'm not going to give anything away, but the payoff is definitely. The last episode is a big episode. I'm it's not going to say in it's how, how it is, but it's not what you think, but it's big. I mean, Ben was crying.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to get into, I want to get into actually what the show means to me. A I love it. Because I think yeah. that is, but, but, but I do want to just before we move on to that, because that's almost the analytical side of the concepts, but with Paul himself, one of the things that I thought a lot about was, you know, that phrase spiritual bypassing? No, I don't. It's, it's when you're people who smile serenely at everything that happens in life, and they use a spiritual justification to stay unengaged with their oh, actual emotions. Oh, that very much
3: applies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I, I wondered in that last, it, it's implied that Paul accepts the fate of the show of what it is, and it even celebrates it. And I wonder, I was left wondering how much of that is genuine. Like, is he able to actually appreciate the complexity, what must be the complexity of his feelings about this show? Or does he need to simplify it and just be like, I'm rolling with it. I'm the warrior. You know? Well I think
2: he rationalized it to make it a, the way he wants it to be. But but in rationalizing sometimes a little of that probably does rub off. But, you know, maybe not completely.
3: Yeah, I mean the ending this plays a lot into the ending and I wanted to leave that up to however you want to interpret it. I I I, I agree with you. I mean I think it's um you know, a lot of the show Overall, is about someone, um, someone's reaction to a trauma in their life, and his reaction was to kind of turn himself, is to kind of separate from himself, disassociate, I think, and be like, well, I'm not, I'm not the person who got scammed. That's this other character, and he's a movie character, and I'm going to write a movie. And ultimately, what he winds up doing is writing sequels to his real life story, where he actually becomes this action hero. Not to give too much away, but it it goes deeper and deeper into this fantasy world, and I. Always saw that as a coping mechanism, where mm. you know this is th- this didn't happen to me. You can't hurt me because I don't exist. I'm just a character in a movie, basically, and that's exactly I think what you're what you're talking about. Because when you meet him, he is so serene. He is smiling all the time, and I I think it. I think this was the way he coped with it. So right now, you know, I still speak with him almost every day. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> and uh, he's great. And look, this morning he sent me ideas. He wants. He's trying to get. Uh, he's trying to host SNL, and he sent me a monologue. I was,
1: who, who, who came up with that? I saw someone. Tw- oh, um, uh, uh, Tom Sharpling. Yeah, Tom
3: Sharpling tweeted. Well, that Paul out is there. ready. Is he sent me his monologue this morning, <laughs> and I mean, he's a big dreamer, and you know, who knows? You know, who would think he could get the, get a show about him made? Um, and so, yeah, I think maybe a lot of it is just you 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 meet the circumstances of your life, you absorb the information, and it's what do you do with it? And this is this is what he. Does did with it, and I, I think is continuing to to do. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, a lot <laughs> of the examples
2: of people doing that are more. Uh, yeah, well, people who rel- who revel in their past fame, or they, you know, they put on a mask, like a face of you know. Give a man
1: su- a mask, he'll show you the truth. Yeah, I mean, that is every performer a f- a face in slides crowd. into a yeah. reduced version of themselves as a way of. Coping. Yeah. Every person. Yeah. Every person. yeah. yeah. Every,
3: this, we all do this. That's why I'm I'm very happy to see people picking up on that because yeah. I never wanted it to be just like, I didn't want people to take away, like, look at this strange person. You know, like, I, I always felt there was something very universal, you know, extreme in his story, but also at, at the core, this very universal stuff. That yeah, we're your persona.
1: About. Well, what, Ione, what? what did you, what was your feeling about this show like on a bigger sense like why were we so engaged by it why why did it grab us so much
2: well just the the you know the mixing of the genres was so fascinating you know sort of just out of curiosity wait what I was like caught up in what are we gonna find out and I was caught up with the the, the, the like ma- on a mystery level yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> the whole challenge of editing was you know it's not a huge thing I, I don't want to give too much away but the the big crime that's alluded to doesn't pay off in the way that you would think in a normal true crime show and it becomes a, something much more kind of surreal and more of a character study about him um but I was just very worried about is that going to be such a letdown if there's not like a massive human trafficking ring? <laughs> like, like editing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was worried oh, because right. it, sure. it starts yeah. as you were saying, feeling like a real mystery and a true crime, and it kind of evolves into you you would hopefully eventually realize. Yeah, and I think people are on board, but it was re- something I was really worried about during editing is like once you realize it's it's not what it seems and it's really just a, a, right. a, about this guy. Uh, is that going to be disappointing? Yeah, for people?
2: no. I mean, it was uh, uh, you know the also the. Part with his father is so incredible. The father child. and
3: the son—that whole,
1: oh yeah—the the, the, the stuff about parenting and being a dad and being a son is, oh yeah, painful and. <laughs> yeah. Deep. But
2: but it kind of has a beauty. I mean, it really, it's nicer than my father relationship. I don't know. In the well, end. his dad seems
1: like not as bad as he describes <laughs> but it. But the dad personal dad kind so weird. It's like the, it's the all- dad
2: like rolls his eyes a little. Together, together we're weaker. We're, 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 we're together. We're we're together. I would imagine if I had to film something that could have touchy things, you know, talking about working with somebody that someone would say, oh, are you taking advantage of this person? But you would just, I would just shoot. I'm sort of, I'm writing something now and I'm just writing. And then afterwards, I'm going to say, well, I've got all this stuff. I mean, it's different when you're shooting because it costs money to shoot. But I would just say, now let's look at it. And if it's too offensive, we'll cut it later. But I want to at least get it.
3: That was basically what we did on this is we had executives at Peacock who were really great to work with and and had the best interest of the show at heart and so they didn't give me any notes on what we were shooting because they knew he had written all of it and I said look we're going to shoot all of this stuff and um you know I gave them 100 something pages of script that didn't make sense and I was like I promise you it'll make sense when we combine it with interviews and behind the scenes it'll all make sense but they really had a lot of faith uh they they gave me a lot of trust in that and then yeah while we were editing that's when notes would come in oh this scene feels you know because on this show particularly it's a fine line between exploring a misogynist belief and actually doing something that comes across as misogynist right, right, right. And but so- it's
2: so so extreme that it t- <laughs> makes it like less extreme <laughs> it's yes like so over the top that it's and and not in a way where you're like wait stop it's sort of comical i guess it sounds weird to say but
3: but it was yeah it, there's stuff in there that's so shocking that i think i mean i was very sensitive to it but i don't think um we were worried that anyone would mistake right you can't what's going it. on on sure. screen for an endorsement yeah, from yeah. me or from yeah, peacock where yeah. it's more of it so as long as it was clear that we were commenting on this stuff and observing this stuff yeah but we were really lucky i think other People in other places would have been very skittish about putting putting this kind of stuff on on TV, but they haven't. The response has been really good. I think because it's so clear what the pers- what my perspective is yeah. in the in show. Yeah,
1: I, I think one of the things that made me think about a lot was the business of making stuff and making art, and I think the reason I identify with the Paul T. Goldman and maybe everyone in show business or entertainment might have this uh, this part of them, you go in wanting to control your own narrative and present yourself. Like basically the way, the reason a lot of us get into making things initially is to put into the world a better version of who we actually are so that we will be treated in the way that we desire, not the way we actually are treated. But then there's a journey you have to take as a public artist where you realise that you don't totally get to pick the side of yourself that you present. You have to present yourself authentically and transparently to have a connection. So I guess what I found so moving about this is that I don't want to be sceptical about Paul T. Goldman, whatever his actual name is, uh, about his ability to leverage this into other opportunities, yet I do see this as possibly the definitive piece of work That he's going to contribute, Mm -hmm. very possibly. Sure. And it comes from accidentally revealing his darkness. Not revealing, not, not, not presenting a perfect warrior hero, which is what he went in trying to do. Yes. And I think I just find that so heartbreaking that we all have to do that. Like ultimately, any success any of us have is not through appearing perfect, but through appearing vulnerable to our audience to connect.
3: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, yeah, he didn't, you know, he he reached out to a million people and I'm the one who, who wrote back and what I did with, him and his story is certainly different than what someone else would have done. But I I don't know if that, that he would have gotten anything made. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there tweeting at a lot of people read my screenplay and, and whatever. So this is just, it's how it wound up happening. Um, but yeah, I could see that certainly connecting with that because right even as a as a singer songwriter, you know you you go out and you write your stuff, but you, then you get you'll get marketed in a certain way and then you don't pick your fan base and then you know you're always letting go of of control uh, of who you are and and you're right. putting any expressing yourself in any kind of art entertainment is an attempt to put out the version of yourself that you want the world to embrace. And it's
1: very vulnerable because ultimately, the, the the bitter pill that he has to swallow now is that yes he got what he wanted but not the way he wanted it and that is that's the part I think I can connect with that all success in show business is like that yeah is that why you
2: were crying or you were crying about something else <laughs> it was kind of no it was actually
1: about that it was about the humbling that we each have to go through to get our work out there That's what I was crying about. Yeah, that's very
3: resonant. I was
1: crying about that like, dude, you're going to go in there swinging for the fences, thinking you're going to rewrite the rule book, but there's a humbling that'll take place when you actually collaborate and put yourself at risk and vulnerability and you'll get some work out there, but you got to be raw, baby.
3: You do, but there's also an empowerment in surrendering to that and, and kind of accepting, which I feel like he has and he does by the end of like, well, this is not... You know, not to give away too much of the end, but we arrive at a place where he ha- understands what the show is fully, where he, you know, I'd say 90 something percent understood. But, you know, then he's, he's watched the show and he's like, well, this is not exactly what I would have done, but I see what you did. I understand why you did it. And uh, and he and he seems OK with it. And, you know, and I think that was genuine. But some people have read it, though. He's just trying to save face. He's changing the narrative again. You see it kind of like okay, I just I need to go with this. This is what he needs exists. a better graphic designer, man. Because those, those <laughs> that
1: merch he's selling just looks crap. Like no, he did it himself, <laughs> dude. I would have bought a t shirt if they actually looked cool. He just needs like some <laughs> hip person who understands Instagram to actually do that. for Yeah, I know he should a, get a social it's media. It's a nail version.
2: biter. The one he's watching in the movie theater, it's just. Oh. Are is he gonna? Is it gonna be the moment where he runs out crying or whatever? What well, you know? It's it's such a nail biter, and it's so. I, I it's amazing what happens. Even if he rewrote it the narrative a little bit, it's it's an incredible
3: But that's survival also. Yeah. yeah no, even I mean, that's what we all have to do. You you you're you faced with reality. There. Yeah. Oh.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's also God. I'm sure people have said it's like the room in a way because that mm-hmm. that he I forgot his name. He
3: was, Tommy Wiseau. Oh, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, 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 yeah he yeah.
2: embraced it, right?
3: Yeah, he did. And I, I mean, he hasn't how. done much of anything since the the room and the disaster artist. But and I think his you know problem. I, it's hard because the, you know the room is like a pure piece of art <laughs> um, of outsider art. I think that's what Paul's writing is. I tried to capture his tone and his voice in this show. But it's very difficult once someone is told that they're funny or kind of sees the re- the positive or negative or just sees the response of the world on their stuff to kind of stay that pure. So I don't know. Even, you know, I, we shot the pilot, which became the first episode in 2017. And I showed him a few scenes of it back then to see what he thought. And he was watching. goes, oh, I'm funny. I'm like Larry David. And I could already oh. see that was infecting his right, performance right. moving on. So I was like, oh, I shouldn't have shown him anything until it was over. Right, right, right. Because once kind of this a pure um person like this who's kind of uninfluenced by you know hollywood stuff starts saying oh i'm people like when i'm funny people are laughing at me then then they kind of get infected get in their own head so part of the shoot was actually trying to tell Paul, don't worry about, don't, don't try to be funny. Just, I want you to be real with this. I want you to, yeah. you to play these scenes as, as you saw them. And
2: Some of the it, acting was genuinely good. I thought, I'm an actor. And I and I mean, sometimes.
3: He gets better. You forget, if you're laughing at him in the first episode for, for how unpolished an actor he is, I feel there's there's obviously some broad moments throughout. But a lot of the scenes, you kind of forget what's going on. You just get to watch yeah. it. And it becomes it's funny because the, the, the
1: part where he loses your Sort of engagement as is a, as genuine acting. Is he overdoes it? Yeah. And I think like he, it's one of the hardest things to learn about acting that you don't have to do a lot on camera. Like actors, you don't have think to do anything. As soon as the camera is there, you have to be making faces and doing something. But literally, if the director tells you walk across the room, just walk across the room. Well,
3: that's don't very hard. That's why actors <laughs> yeah. are incredible. It's because yeah. just being a person on camera is is not something most people can yeah, do. Yeah, the
2: walking is sometimes I can't hardest. Do it. Cause oh my god, because you, you're just. Yeah,
3: there was one thing we cut out when he goes into the he finds out that his wife has a secret house at a trailer park and he goes in and meets the trailer park manager. And this scene that we shot in the pilot. It's the funniest thing ever. We didn't have time to include in the show, but just him entering that room. To, to look like an, a human being entering, he was kind of just like <laughs> flopping around like a Muppet. And it was like, Paul, just walk into the room. We did like 20 takes of him just walking in <laughs> and I couldn't understand why. I was like, I don't want this part to be so funny. <laughs> <That is laughs> so, so amazing.
1: He got overexcited.
3: But you can see I'm not a good, in the scene, he pulls me into a scene. So eventually he wrote me into it and I was like, we're going to hire someone to play me. We'll just get a, a little guy with glasses and he'll play me because I didn't want to do it. And Paul kept r- pulling me in and you see he we reenact the first time we ever met in person at the Cheesecake Factory. And you can see am he's a better actor than me in that scene. He's more natural on camera. I'm a, I'm I'm a terrible actor and uh yeah, so he did kind of get better at it.
2: I was just happy you got in there because at that point of the show, I wanted you to dominate him. <laughs> and then I was just like, yeah, I don't know what it was, but I felt you had a victory or something. And I was at that point, it was if it was like a battle between. Oh,
1: that's two. so interesting. And, and I remember like, like Paul just withholding emotionally for the scene he did without you. <laughs> it was like so brutal because I was right. like, what are you pulling yeah. this diva shit <laughs> right.
3: for? There's it's, a yeah. roller
2: coaster between the two of you also, which is fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. there's
3: this power struggle, which the is, power you know, struggle. It tried to de- picked it accurately but ultimately as the filmmaker and the one you know i'm i'm editing it so it's like the power is always uh it was interesting. The power is ultimately in my hands in this show, but I needed him to be on board yes, to do the show yes. I wanted to do. So no, there is was, this kind of back I mean, and forth. I mean, whatever
2: you did worked. I was thinking <laughs> back to Outsider Art, and I was thinking, is Crispin Glover's considered like his? He his makes personal movies. stuff. Yeah. He's kind oh of a yeah. Perfect. I was just outsider. talking to someone
3: comparing his his stuff to this. Yeah. Yeah,
2: because he he's able to be aware that he's doing something, but it doesn't affect his work, which is unusual. Probably what you were saying. Like it usually, if people start becoming aware where then they get kind of self-conscious but he's kind of a perfect outsider artist yeah I
3: mean this you know the system is not meant to cater to people that unique uh it's very rare that someone can can keep doing stuff especially stuff like this I mean this costs a few million bucks I mean it's still cheaper than one episode of any other show on tv but it's still like the reason it took me so long to do it is because it did cost a few million bucks to shoot all these scenes and um, yeah, it's a pretty rare situation to to be able to do that.
1: And for a show like this, like, do you is this a financial win or is this a career building
3: moment? Oh, for me, no, it's not a financial. It's not win, like because no. you,
1: you put in ten years. I mean, the amount you'd have to be paid for that to be worth financially the hours you put in. It's like, oh you, yeah, no, yeah, I, I made.
3: If you tally up the time, it's yeah. probably less than minimum wage. Also, I had no leverage uh, in terms of the deal because. I would come into Peacock being like, "I've been trying to do this for ten years. This is my, you know, passion project." Yeah. So they know I, I, I have. I'm going to take any deal they offer me. So I wasn't. I didn't negotiate. I couldn't negotiate at all because they knew I wasn't going to walk away. I'm a terrible negotiator.
1: But do you feel that now that you've <laughs> you did the cardinal sin? You you, you wrote yourself into the, the story, right? Is there turning back from that? Like for Charlie Kaufman, <laughs> I hope. Once so. Charlie yeah. Kaufman wrote himself into adaptation, he became. A vis- his brand yeah. became visible. It affected the way people read his work in the future. Absolutely. Like, but he's still doing it because, I mean, yeah. I
3: don't know if you read his book that he put out. It was the last year or the year before. It's incredible. It's like oh, 700. Really? It's called Ant Kind. It's 700 pages. But he, I mean, he is a presence on every page. And you, and especially, yeah, right, after adaptation, he winds up doing Synecdoche, New York. But every moment of that movie, you're thinking about Charlie Kaufman. And, like, and so that was that was his thing. Yeah, I mean, do you I, like that? Do you like people thinking about you I, more than about I'm conflicted <laughs> about it. You know, I've been trying to do stuff like this. I have movies I've written. I've been trying to do projects like this forever, but I've also, um, and I mostly wind up doing for hire work, uh, you know, stuff that I really care about, but, you know, Borat I was hired on and I've directed TV shows that, you know, most of the stuff I've I've gotten by with has been other people's projects. Um, oh, yeah,
2: we were
1: looking up all the things. Oh, yeah, we watched, was, we hadn't watched any of the dinner, the Brett's dinner. Oh, one. You, you should watch with, those. I'll send watched, you links if you watch We watched, watched one, <laughs> I, I I pulled one up online and I sent Brett a screenshot. He was like, you're watching the third episode. <laughs> watch them, you know oh, yeah, realize. yeah. Oh, like, well,
3: they they work in it. Oh, they're all insane. But yeah, I don't know because I, I have nothing like this I'm working on now. This would be
2: great for you. I I hope so. Thanks. Yeah. Do you have that?
1: So, one of the things I wonder about this. And again, I, I, I don't want to refer to this particularly as a style, but it relies on raising the stakes mm. every time. And I wonder, do you feel that as a pressure for where you go next? Does it have to be weirder, more meta, more bizarre? Like, is that a pressure?
3: I might try to do like a big family movie next, like okay. have nothing to do with this. Because I feel like, yeah, I, you can't just keep going more meta because it becomes empty at a certain point. This mm. project, like Paul because he had written all this on his own, before he ever met me, he was writing fan fiction about his own life, using real people from his life and pulling it in. So I I just kind of depicted what, was, what existed really. And then as it ballooned, it became very meta when he was writing me in it. And I was like, I want to make it about the making of this, but it was specifically well suited to this project. So it's really, if there's another idea that, you know, demands some something like this. Great, but um, but for me, it's you know the more interesting thing would be to just find something totally different to do that could be just as compelling.
1: As long as you're wearing a suit, <laughs> you're you're already, you've already won. <laughs> Do
2: you have anything else you want to add, or should we wrap it up there? I don't you know. Maybe you can help Ben pick out a suit. You need a new suit <laughs> in do, your look, life. I
1: just went to APC and bought some very expensive jeans that will be altered <laughs> by tomorrow. And it's like one step at a time, babe. I'm an Australian. We take start. We move slow and steady with our style choices. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for coming, in, man. It's the, the show. Honestly, like it touched us both, and we had a we had a big experience. And I'm just really grateful that. Oh, I mean
3: it. that really—that means everything to me. It's really why I want to do things. is It's a way of connecting with people in a weird way, and uh, to hear that is is just so uh, so moving. So thank thank you. I'm so glad you guys liked it. Uh, and next uh, time, next
1: time you crash a party of ours, I will I will remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see. Hey, do you want to say uh, just say uh, "beautiful babies"? That's the end of the episode.
3: Beautiful babies. All right. <laughs> <laughs>